Welcome to Tell Me More, a podcast series featuring distinguished visitors to Tufts University who share their ideas, discuss their work, and shed light on important topics of the day. Blockbuster movies like Patty Jenkins' Wonder Woman demonstrate the power a female filmmaker can have in Hollywood today. But even with those massive successes, female filmmakers continue to face challenges. In her new documentary, Half the Picture, filmmaker Amy Adrian interviews dozens of successful female directors about their career paths, struggles, and hopes for the future. Adrian screened the film at an event presented by Tufts Women in Filmmaking. In this episode of Tell Me More, Adrian talks with Tufts University's Julie Flaherty about why women directors still have to fight to get work in Hollywood despite their box office successes, and why that should matter to anyone who loves movies. Let's listen in. Filmmaker Amy Adrian, welcome to Tufts, and thank you for speaking with us today. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Now, I I knew that women directors were uncommon in Hollywood, uh, but when Catherine Bigelow won an Oscar for Best Director in 2008 for The Hurt Locker, I figured things were looking up. Um, I didn't know how bad things were until I watched your film. Uh, In the last 11 years, women have directed only 4% of movies. In fact, the number of women filmmakers has basically stayed the same for the past two decades. I guess the big question is, why is it so hard for women directors to get work in Hollywood? Uh, Well, that's... You're, you're cutting right to the chase right in the beginning. I mean, that's the question, right? Um, and it is hard for women. There are, I feel like there's some, um, sometimes you hear the idea that it's a pipeline problem, that the women directors aren't there, um, but they really are there. And there are a lot of talented, experienced women directors who are looking to work more in Hollywood, in film and TV. Um, but for many, many reasons, they tend to not get those opportunities. And um, a lot of those reasons are things that we do explore in the film. Um, you know, I think some of it is just the history of filmmaking and unconscious bias or becoming more perhaps conscious bias. I mean, people have an idea in their head of what a film director looks like, what they sound like, how they speak, how they hold, you know, carry themselves. And I think it takes a little bit of mental work to picture different kinds of people in those roles. Um you know, you look at someone like Dee Reese, the incredible director of Mudbound, African-American lesbian woman. Um, you know, I think even people who are very, you know, progressive, it just takes a minute to be like, oh, wait, that's the director. Right. That's the director. You just that's those aren't the image that images that we're used to seeing. Um, so I think some of it is of, of it is that I think Hollywood is a business of relationships. And if you've worked with someone and you admire their work and they've already had these opportunities, it's easier to give them that next opportunity. So I think there there's some of that. It's still harder for women to raise money for their films. Um, when women directed and women-centered films do well at the box office, it, it is still seen as an anomaly and um, you know a strange occurrence and who could have predicted. I mean, you still hear that about um, RBG or Wonder Woman or whatever, um, you know, and and further down the line, you know, most powerful people in agencies, studios, distribution companies uh, are men. 
film reviewers are largely male, top film reviewers, um, you know, the top programmers at film festivals are largely men. So kind of throughout the ecosystem, there's a severe gender imbalance in all of those um, places where the gender imbalance uh, is present. Those are all um, become challenges and, and stumbling blocks for women who are hoping to get more work in this business. So let's let's talk about a specific argument that some people make. Um, they say that the people who are successful making films are the ones get to, that get hired to make more films. Um, and in your film, you interview Patricia Riggin. She directed the film The 33, which was about the Chilean miners trapped in a cave-in, I think a lot of people saw. Uh, she was talking about her first film called Under the Same Moon. She said, it costs less than $2 million to make. Uh, and it made more than 23 million worldwide, so a very successful return. But she said that didn't generate a single movie offer for her, uh, which I thought was just fascinating. And the thing is, that wasn't an isolated occurrence. You you heard the same story from from other women directors. Could you talk a little bit about that and uh, what that means? Yeah, and I think that's kind of when the conventional wisdom and these conventional arguments break down. I mean, I, I think people often say, well, Hollywood is a business. People are in this industry to make money. This isn't a charity. It's not their job to give opportunities to anyone who wants them. And that is perfectly understandable. I mean, this isn't, um, you know, it's not a charity. They These companies have shareholders and they want to make money. Um, and so I think you do hear this argument sometimes, well, if women's films were successful and, um, you know, if if there's box office, then money talks. And those are the people are the, that are going to get those opportunities. And statistically, that's just not true because you have example after example, whether it's low budget filmmaking, indie filmmaking, female directors with their first films kind of like, you know, hitting a grand slam out of the gate. Um, with box office critical hits. So, you know, women like Kimberly Pierce, who made Boys Don't Cry and Hilary Swank won an Oscar. That was Kimberly Pierce's first feature film ever. Um, or Karin Kusama with Girl Fight. Um, uh, Patty Jenkins with Monster. Um, Charlize Theron won an Academy Award. Uh, that was her first film, the director's first film. And then it took each of those directors nine years, 10 years to get their next movie after that um or even you know at at kind of the the bigger budget level um you know Catherine Hardwick with Twilight I mean she had a 40 million dollar budget on that film she launched an enormous worldwide phenomenon franchise that film made over 400 million dollars and she got some opportunities after that film but nowhere near kind of the sides of budgets um, that her male, you know, um, colleagues who had had those kinds of successes, I mean, they would kind of jump up to like to, to bigger projects and she did not get that opportunity. So I have a devil's advocate kind of question. Uh, and I think it's the one that, that someone in the film actually addressed by saying, do we still have to answer this question? Um, but film directors, both men and women, they make up a pretty small part of the workforce. So why should the average person, the average movie watcher, care about whether the movies are made by men or women? And I think that was a question that was important for us to address in the film because... 
you do hear that. I mean, particularly like from lay people who don't work in the business. I mean, you'll just see messages on message boards or, you know, um, often when there are articles in the New York Times or LA Times or Variety about representation, um, you know, people will write, I don't care if it's a man or a woman or they're black, white or purple. Like, I just want a good movie. And and I think a lot of people kind of share that sentiment. They think, well, why do I, why does it matter? Um and I I posed that question to Ava DuVernay, the filmmaker of Selma and A Wrinkle in Time, um, in the film, and she kind of gets very exasperated, and, and some of that exasperation is like not even in the film, but I just remember her, when I interviewed her, being like, oh, that's so whack, that's so whack, <laughs> like, why are you asking me that? <laughs> um, and I think her answer is right. I mean, like, these are people who don't understand that, you know, this is a... A film doesn't just like isn't born fully formed. There are people who have ideas, who've had life experiences, who cast the film, who direct the film and decide like the relationships between the characters in the film, who decide what the film looks like, how people are filmed, how they're shot, who who gets the hero angle, who, you know, is on the sidelines like rooting their partner on. One of the scholars in the film, uh, she made a good analogy um, that it's not like we're talking about making toothpaste here or some just consumer good. Movies are um, culture. They're, they're big influences on our culture and how we view each other and how we communicate and how the, the rest of the world um, views uh, America. Um, so do you want to talk a little bit about yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, in that, yeah, that's the big reason, you know, why it matters that, um, yeah, movies are so, such a part of our culture. And, you know, we grow up being exposed to these images and these stories and these characters, and you really do get a sense of what's appropriate, what's not appropriate, what's valued, what's not valued. Um, what heroes should look like, you know, how they should walk and talk and speak and, um, you know, who the villains are and, you know, so much of of what we see in movies and TV. I mean, it it affects us in our in our everyday lives as far as how much space we feel like we can take up, what the possibilities are in our own life because of all of the images we've seen throughout our life. Um you know, it teaches us a lot, which is which is why it is particularly important in this industry to have different voices that are heard. Um, you know, I'm one of many women who sat in the theater on opening day and watched Wonder Woman and was crying my eyes out at fight scenes. And you're just like, why is this affecting me? I have like, what is wrong with me? Um but just to see this like warrior women filmed in that way with the respect and kind of these hero angles that they got and the positioning of them in that role, I had never, ever, ever seen it. And I am not that young. Um, so these images have a lot of power. Mm-hmm. There's a reason people talk about them as being magic, right? Yeah. And if the only magicians are men, that that means something. Um one of the most poignant parts of of the film, I thought, um, your film, uh, is just how many of these directors, these fabulous directors, thought that 
the reason they were hitting these walls had something to do with them, that maybe they weren't talented enough or maybe they had done something wrong. And and how did hearing that resonate with you? I mean, maybe you, you, you knew that's what you were going to hear before you went into the interviews, but... Um, you know, as a woman and as a filmmaker, how did that resonate with you? Um, well, I think it's it's often so much easier to counsel your friend about something that she's experiencing that you have also experienced, but you're like, well, you're being crazy, of course. Like, you're so talented and you're beautiful and you're this and you're that. Why are you feeling that way about yourself? But when you think <laughs> about you, you're like, oh, my God, I'm, I should have done that. I should have done this. But, um, yeah, I think it's human nature. You know, we can kind of drive ourselves crazy with that kind of um, self-doubt. And I I think something that um, all of these women speaking up in a very public way over the past few years, whether it's Me Too or um, discrimination against women directors and discrimination in hiring, you know, people sharing their stories has made very clear that it's not just you. It's not that thing that you said that was the reason why you don't have the career you want. You know, there is a systemic um, problem. There's a huge gender imbalance in the industry. And um, I mean, all the statistics have proven that there is discrimination in hiring of directors. You know, women come out of film schools at the same number as men, and they have a lot of success with their early films, but they don't ever get to those higher career levels as men. You mentioned the Me Too movement, and you started this film in in 2015, well before the movement began in 2016. The directors you interviewed do talk about their experiences with sexual harassment, but it's not the focus of the film. Do you see the Me Too movement helping spark any of the change that you want to see in filmmaking? I think kind of honesty and authenticity in all of these realms is helpful for all of us. Um, I have so much admiration and respect for so many of these women who came out with stories publicly of being humiliated, of being embarrassed, of being put in compromised positions, of in some cases being harassed or attacked or raped. Um, I mean, how much courage must it have taken as public people who do have to have a certain image to get work in this business to put themselves on the line like that. Um, I mean, I feel personally like very grateful to each of them because it's a really hard road. Um, So I think those voices speaking up is, um, you know, I think it only helps all of us to understand kind of the system we're working in. And I think, you know, even when I started making this film in 2015, you know, I had a neighbor who I was telling um, about the film that I was just starting. And he's a writer in Hollywood. I mean, he kind of had written some TV movies and stuff. And um, he was he was kind of like, like, really, like women directors in 2015? Is this is this? I mean, are there like I mean, 20 years ago, of course, they had like, you know, sexual discrimination. But you know, is this really an issue that women are still like, is that a problem? I mean, he's mm-hmm. a guy who works in the business, mm-hmm. you know? So I think the just that the fact that Me Too exploded in that way just kind of did some of the heavy lifting for us in our film of just explaining like, yes, indeed, this is the kind of system that women are trying to work and have careers in. You know, that said, I would say 
I am so grateful for the women who've spoken up with me too. And I, I am a little bit concerned that, you know, a lot of the attention can kind of get sucked up by these really salacious, lurid stories that need to be heard. But that can be the focus instead of the underlying fact that men just hold immense amounts of power in this industry and women are often approaching very powerful men to get their approval, support, opportunities from them. And so it is a systemic power imbalance that is the problem. It's not some bad apples who are just, you know, perverted guys. It's the system. So I just I am concerned a little bit that some of the Me Too stuff just sucks up a lot of the air about these other issues. So so what what is going to change it? How is this going to change? The studios have known for a while. Um, they've they've taken some steps with you know panels or shadowing programs, things like that. What do you see needs to happen? Well, I mean, I feel like the short answer is they need to hire women. Like that could be the end of every conversation instead of putting money or research or resources into shadowing or mentoring or diversity initiatives or programs or script contests or whatever, if they just hired more talented, qualified women, we wouldn't be talking about this anymore. But people are reluctant to do that. They have people who they've worked with, who they're comfortable with. And so, you know, they don't want to be told um, what to do. But I think the answer is you know, pretty simple. Um, and, uh, you know, and I'm optimistic. I feel like, you know, there's kind of a twofold thing of like, I think we need to keep being loud about our advocacy and calling out things that are unfair and um, asking for more work by women and supporting that work with your dollars at the box office and what you see and what you watch and what you talk about on social media. Um, and I think for people who are in this field, just keep making your work. And that's its own political statement also. Let's talk about some of the positive, because the film, even though it's it's talking about a lot of the challenges and barriers, it's also very much a, you know, a love letter to these, these directors whose work you clearly admire. Um, so what, what are some of the stories that they told that really inspired you? Was there one particular moment in the film that, that really stands out as, as something that inspired you? I don't know that there was one moment. Um, I mean, just getting to sit down with all of these women and just the fact that they've had the kind of difficult roads that they've had. And I mean, they're all still working. And I think one positive thing that's like not even part of the film, but like all of the women in the film have like their own personal opportunities have just exploded since making the film. And there are some women who were kind of in the early stages of directing TV. There's this woman, Tina Mabry, who's in the film. I mean, she's been directing so much TV and she's directing the pilot for this new show. And she's got her, you know, a big feature, studio feature going. And so for a lot of the women personally in the film, just anecdotally, um, like a lot of great things that are happening for them. And that's as it should be because they're so good at what they do. But both in the film and aside and like in these little snippets that we have on our social media and stuff that we release on, you know, Facebook and Twitter and stuff. Um, you know, I remember both Ava DuVernay and Jill Soloway, who are incredible creators who I admire tremendously and who are also kind of leaders of movements 
I mean, they just are very aware of the big picture of of so much of this and um, speak for for and about things that are much bigger than just like their movies and TV shows they're creating. Um, But both of them said, you know, when I see anyone, any woman, person of color, person with disability, LGBTQ, anyone who's kind of outside the Hollywood system, when I see them making a web series or a short film or a documentary or a feature film, um, you know, you just have to give them so much respect. And Ava DuVernay, you know, just said, like, the system wasn't built for any of those people. It wasn't built for them to succeed. It wasn't built for us to succeed. That's not what the machine is there for. And so when people are making their own work, despite all that, you know, again, it's a political statement. It's a political act. And I think that kind of helped me put my work in a bigger context. So in your film, you you discuss different genres and how women are sort of considered for only certain types of movies. But you have examples of women who are like, I would love to do a sci-fi film. I would love to do an action film. Give me a superhero film. I'm, I'm all over it. Um, is there a connection between women directors and the perception of what those movies will be about and who they'll be for, what the audience is? Yeah, definitely. And I think... Um you know, some of the kind of experts talk about that in our film, that women do face, like, discrimination in genre, certainly. Um, You know, I think the films that women are getting opportunities making now tend to be, quote-unquote, women's stories that center women, and and women should tell those stories. But, um, like, Kimberly Pierce in our film talks about making uh, the movie Stop Loss, which was about the Iraq War, that was based on her brother's experience as a soldier in the war and you know she said the entire time she was in pre-production and making the film you know people just kept asking like well why why do you want to tell this story like do you do you think you can and you know there was um you know she was explicitly asked basically why do you think you can tell this story and are you the right person and yet Paul Feig makes Bridesmaids and we all go oh he's a great comedy director and like why should he not be able to make a movie about female friendship and the complexities of you know female best friends like you know I think white men tend to be the baseline and they can do anything and and women do face discrimination and Jason Blum, who's the insanely successful producer at Blumhouse, who's done all these horror franchise films. Um, He did the most recent Halloween remake that was phenomenally successful. And um, an interviewer asked him, like, out of all of your theatrically released horror films, you haven't had one female director. And he said, well, we tried. And I reached out to, you know, these two women who were fantastic and they, they were busy. And so we just there aren't that many of them and we couldn't find one. And then, of course, there was like a huge social media backlash of like, here are lists. Here's another hundred. Here's another hundred. You know, they all have experience making horror. Um, but it's just, you know, I think it's one further kind of challenge that women face that they can make certain kinds of films and there is no equivalent on the side of men. I mean, men direct tampon commercials and no one goes like, "Why? Well, who are you to like direct a tampon commercial? But it's like, you know, they've been doing it and it's good work. And, you know, men get those jobs and no one bats an eye. Um, you know, I would I would say also like 
I think men are just in the beginning stages of learning to um, put themselves in the positions of female protagonists and do doing that kind of mental work that women and people of color and people who are outside the Hollywood system and who traditionally have not been represented as protagonists, like we're used to doing the mental gymnastics to imagine ourselves in the role of, you know, whatever, Dwayne The Rock Johnson or Bruce Willis or Arnold Schwarzenegger or, you know, whomever is the hero of the story so that we can identify with them. I think for a long time, people assumed that that men and boys didn't want to watch stories about girls and women. But I do think a lot of progress is being made in that front. I tell this story. I remember I was taking a flight back from Ireland a year ago, and on the plane kind of next to me was this very big, burly Irish guy, a big red beard, red hair. He looked, I mean, he was like a real, like, you know, Irish bluffs, mountain cliff kind of guy. And he was watching Wonder Woman. And he was bawling his eyes out. He was like just silently crying. <laughs> and I remember just looking over and being like, like he gets it too. Like you just have to. And and how wonderful for all of us that like we're, be, we're being given these opportunities to connect to stories that aren't our stories. You know, there's so much to be gained. So could you tell us one more thing that you want people to know about you that they don't know already? That's so funny. Okay, so you guys sent me like an email that was like, we're going to ask you this question. I'm just going to tell everyone that I was given the heads up and I still didn't come up with anything, which is pathetic. Um, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I'm a sports lover. I love basketball. I'm working on a script about high school girls basketball team um, that I'm really excited about. Yeah, I don't know. What do other people say for that question? They say, like, I'm a master of backgammon? Or, like, what do they say? You have to give me some examples of, like, uh, you're I, like, I, I have to listen to the other episodes and find out, maybe. Maybe we'll just cut this question in the future. It's yeah, causing no, such I love stress. It. I love it. I love it. Um, high school basketball team is an awesome answer right there. I yeah. think that's great. Uh, filmmaker Amy Adrian, I look forward to seeing your next feature, which I hope comes very soon. Me too. Uh, <laughs> thank you very much for speaking with us today. Thank you so much. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to this episode of Tell Me More. Be sure to subscribe to listen to more episodes of the podcast, and please take a minute to rate us and review us wherever you get your podcasts. We'd also welcome your thoughts on the series. You can reach us at tellmemore at tufts.edu. That's T-U-F-T-S dot E-D-U. Tell Me More is produced by Katie McLeod Strollo, Stefan Hacker, and Dave Nusher. Web production and editing support provided by Taylor McNeil. Production support provided by 5 to 9 Media. Special thanks to Tufts Women in Filmmaking. Our theme music is sourced from DeWolf Music. And my name is Patrick Collins. Until next time... Be well.